James chapter 5. And James has a message for the unrepentant rich. The unrepentant rich. And it's a condemning message. It's a strong message. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Let's read it together. Follow along with me. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who, who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Man, what a strong word. It's almost like it's an Old Testament prophet just calling down hail and brimstone. Uh, strong word for the condemnation of the unrepentant rich. This condemnation isn't simply for the wealthy. It's for the unrepentant rich. But here, James is even more focused than that. In 2020, Forbes magazine identified 2,095 billionaires. That's not millionaires, that's billionaires. 2,095 billionaires in 2020. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, isn't written to Jeff Bezos, who weighs in in 2020 at $113 billion. I'm not sure why somebody thought the world should know that, but that's what we know now. Bill Gates, who weighs in at $98 billion, a close second. Mark Zuckerberg in seventh place at $54.7 billion. There were some other people I didn't recognize who they were, figured you might not either. James isn't writing specifically to them. He's writing to the rich among the 12 tribes scattered abroad that were in churches. Now that doesn't mean that his message can't apply to others as well, but that was his focus. It's true that these individuals are condemned without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't buy that for a billion dollars. It's a gift of God. It's free, and it's available to those that are billionaires or millionaires or hundred heirs or ten heirs like some of us, all right? Um, James is speaking specifically, specifically to the rich among the 12 tribes scattered abroad who had named the name of Christ in some manner of belief, those who had a profession, but everything around them seemed to speak otherwise. And so he adds this as a genuine test of faith as well. He was writing to those who would read his epistle. He didn't say, read this and then go speak it against the rich of the world, um, those outside of the early church, Christian church wouldn't receive James's epistle, epistle. Those inside would. And he says, come now, which he used in chapter 4, verse 13, almost like an Old Testament calling to come and reason um, with what the Lord has to say. When we say the word rich, I'm guessing 
that the vast majority of us, if not all of us, would presume that we're not among them. We don't weigh in at billions. Um, Some have millions, but we don't weigh in at billions. I think I could confidently say that some of us, or none of us, have a billion. If you do, uh, my phone number is in the bulletin, and you can Venmo me. Some, though, have millions, and likely even multiple millions. The World Bank in 2019, this is in 2019, said almost a quarter of the global population, 23% to be specific, lived below the poverty line, which was $3.65 a day. And almost half, 47% at that time, 2019, lived below the poverty line of $6.85 a day. That's what was reported by the World Bank. In light of that, are you rich? If I think about $3.95 a day, well, I spend more than that for coffee. And there are some people that don't get that much to live on in a day. That was 2019. World Vision in 2021, this is 2021, said about 9.2% of the world live in extreme poverty on less than a dollar and 90 cents a day, according to the World Bank, which was that first source. But that was progress because in 1990, 36% of the world lived on that wage. In the United States, here's a contrast. In the United States, 2021, 10.5% of the population live below the poverty line, the poverty line in the United States being $12,880 a year in 2021. That would be about $35.28 a day. Well, we spend more to live here, but we also live in a higher level, the vast majority, let's say that, let's not assume that everybody lives according to our standard, Um, but you can see even the difference between the poverty line in the United States and the poverty line around the world. If you were to live and mix, and we did, if you were to live and mix with people in a different socioeconomic level in third world countries, you see a very clear distinction between lower poor, middle poor, and upper poor people. World Vision notes that poverty is usually measured in terms of financial income, but always health and education and living conditions are involved as well. James writes to the rich among the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Just like there are ridiculously rich people like Gates and Bezos and Zuckerberg and the others, there are also ridiculously poor people. We, we don't have to be ashamed of how much money we have or how much money we make an hour or if you get a salary. We don't have to be ashamed of that. Um, that's God's blessing upon us. His blessing upon you is different than me, than, than others as well. Our task is to view it as a stewardship. Am I using what God has given me in a way that's honoring to Him? While we might not be considered ridiculously rich or poor, There's a lot of room in between those two extremes, a lot of room. And those who have this world's riches also have a biblical responsibility to handle those world's riches in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord. 
And the way things are done, oftentimes, it's between you and God. I don't know, I don't know what anybody here gives. I don't look. I don't look on purpose. I don't look because they don't let me look, and I don't want to look. It's between you and the Lord. It's between me and the Lord as well. Discerning where the Lord has placed you and how he has blessed you and what he's entrusted to you to steward will help you invest your riches with biblical spiritual insight. To not do so, James is going to show us, reveals the condition of our hearts, regardless of what our mouths say. James was writing to those who were among the 12 tribes scattered abroad, dispersed in churches uh, in the early church. They had some form of, I believe Jesus, and he's giving them tests to see if it's a genuine belief in Christ. Just like 1 John gives us tests to see if we have a genuine belief in Christ. And the way we spend our riches, the riches that God has blessed us with, reveals the condition of our heart. And oftentimes, just like with James and those who received his writing, that condition is only known between that individual, sometimes some others, and the Lord himself. And so that's the challenge that we have before us is to live as unto the Lord. James addresses the riches, excuse me, the rich among the 12 tribes scattered abroad, chapter 1, verse 1, the unrepentant rich. And the reason I say the unrepentant rich is because in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he gives an extremely strong rebuke to those who are rich. He exposes the genuine condition, spiritual condition, of the heart of those guilty regardless of what they said, regardless of whether they said, I believe in Jesus, or I love God, or I was baptized, or whatever way they might have communicated, um, he exposes their heart. James gives yet another test of genuine faith, the test of money, the test of wealth, and likely he had Jesus' words in mind. And I'm in Matthew 6 if you want to read a couple of verses with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 is where I'll start. Where Jesus said this, Pharisees were present, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I want to repeat that a couple of two or three times. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. And yet some of us, maybe all of us to some degree, I don't know, I don't live in your heart and in your life, but sometimes we try and get as close as we can, recognizing we can't get too close because Jesus said you can't serve God and money. So if this were to be money and this were to be Jerry, sometimes I find myself getting as close as I can, not wanting to violate what Jesus said, but really being enticed with the deceptiveness of riches. Do you find that also? And sometimes I'll cross that line. And, and, and James says that those to whom he was writing had crossed it so much that their spiritual heart was being shown. The deceptiveness of riches. You can't lay up, excuse me, you can't serve God in money. Jesus taught something very similar to what James says in chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Verse 19 of Matthew 6, he said, Don't let for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
where your treasure is, the genuineness of it, the one that the Lord and you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there were some among the 12 tribes that were saying, my heart is towards God. And James is showing them, no, your heart is not towards God, because look at what you're doing with your riches. And we're going to unfold that as, as, we, as we move along today. Luke chapter 16, verse 11 says this, If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? The Pharisees who loved money didn't like what Jesus had to say. Jesus said to them, you are, the, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. So they would present themselves all sharp and religious and righteous, self-righteous, unfortunately. And what Jesus was saying to them is, but God knows your heart. And God knows my heart. And God knows your heart as well. James shows us and will show us that the unrepentant rich were unrepentant because of the condition of their heart. In Mark's recording of the parable of the sower, we're not going to read all of it. It's found in Matthew, uh, Mark 4. The seed that was sown among the, thro- the thorns, they, the thorns sprang up and choked out the seed. And we find that in Luke's gospel. We find it in Matthew's gospel. Mark doesn't show it that way. But this is what it says. They are the ones who, hearing the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, you need me, I'll make you happy, you just need a little bit more, that kind of an idea, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entered in to choke the word, and it became unfruitful. And so in this parable of the sower, there was some seed that was sown among the thorns. And what Jesus is saying is that seed was immediately received and began to grow. And the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things just reached up and grabbed that thing and pulled it away. And so it didn't produce fruit. It wasn't salvation type of belief. And I believe James is saying the same thing. You among the 12 tribes who in some way believe Jesus have demonstrated the genuineness of your heart by the way that you treat the riches that God has entrusted to you. This is just one of the tests that he gives them. Wealth, though, in and of itself is not evil. God chooses to bless us as he chooses. Um, He gets to do that. He is the Lord. Uh, That doesn't mean we can't work hard. We have to be careful because if we're working hard just to store up and stockpile and get a little bit more, it's going to demonstrate the condition of my heart. But if I'm working hard to fulfill the responsibilities that God has given me, it's a different dynamic. Wealth in and of itself is not evil. Actually, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. But what one does with their wealth demonstrates the condition of the heart. And you know what you do with yours, and I know what I do with what he's blessed me with. And it's not my responsibility to tell you what to do with yours other than to open up the word of God. And it's not yours to spend my money either. We have to recognize that before the Lord. Joseph was an example. Um, He gained a lot of wealth, and in wisdom he used that to provide for Pharaoh and his house. 
excuse me, before him was Abraham. Abraham in his day was a wealthy man with all of his flocks and herds. As a king, David had much, and we could give other examples of extremely wealthy people in the Old Testament. On the other side of the spectrum, Pharaoh, when he saw, when he saw the Israelites fleeing Egypt, he saw all of that free labor that he had going to waste, and it was going to cost him something. Simon the magician from Acts chapter 8 tried to buy the power to give the Holy Spirit, and, the, and then the apostles' response was this, may your silver perish with you. So he thought, with money, I can buy the blessing of God and the power of God. And the declaration was not only um, was his silver going to perish, in time it would be of no value, but may it perish with you as well. Proverbs chapter 11 says this, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. This is an interesting dynamic. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. What a dynamic that is. Somebody who, and I've seen it be people who don't have a lot of money. They give, and all of a sudden, God is blessing them. Give, and it shall be given unto you. And they walk away more with more than what they had in the beginning. And I've seen those who have to give, not wanting to, justifying it, even using Scripture to do so. And in the end, they suffer want. So the treatment of wealth is a critical thing. Timothy uh, received from Paul these words, the love of money, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. That's exactly what James is addressing. And you and I have to be careful. And while James is addressing those who claim to know the Lord but are demonstrating that they didn't, we can know the Lord and learn a lesson so that we don't get sidetracked and tripped up with this love of money, and pierced through themselves throughout with many sorrows. Misuse of wealth is addressed many times in many places in the Old Testament. We could find it among the major prophets, the minor prophets. I'm not going to go into that. Those James addresses were following the bad examples um, that were condemned by these prophets of the Lord, um, bringing a surety of God's future judgment. And the words that he uses in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, we don't find the word repent and get right with God. It is a strong declaration of judgment for the unrepentant rich. Does James chapter 5 speak only to the unrepentant rich? No. It can speak to me and it can speak to you to be careful to avoid the enticing deceitfulness of sin, the love of money. Be careful to not Christianize the love of money and put nice wrappings around what we're going to hoard so that it could be, have the appearance of being God-blessed. We don't want to do that, though sometimes we have to be careful to not fight that, that we do fight that. James chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Come now, pay attention to this. Hey, sit up, listen, and it's to you rich. There are miseries that are coming upon you. The reaction that the unrepentant wealthy ought to have had now, but will one day have, is they weep and they howl. And this word weep isn't just a quiet cry. It's what Ashley or Kristen would call an ugly cry. It's one of those sobbing, can't try and talk and can't talk and stutter kind of cries. It's an ugly cry. Um, 
sobbing out loud. I've seen it before. I've seen it in my girls, the ugly cry, but, 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 I, but I saw the, I saw the weeping one. I saw the weeping one. It was when I said no. I don't remember what I said. No. <laughs> I saw the weeping in this type of a situation one time in an interior city in Sierra, Canide, but it was in the interior of Canide, and somebody had died, and I think they even possibly I I think they might have even brought in wailers and weepers. There were so many of them, but it was an out loud weeping and wailing for this particular individual. James says to the rich that are unrepentant, your miseries are coming upon you. James chapter 4 verse 9 uses the word weep, the same word weep, only there it's mourn and weep, which is a call to repentance. In chapter 5, verse 1, there isn't a call to repentance. Instead, it's a surety of judgment because it's a a demonstration, a, a revealing of the condition of the heart. Howl, scream because of what's coming upon you, the miseries that are coming upon you, the calamities, the miseries, the wretchedness. Those who were used to a lifestyle of luxury and self-indulgence were going to step into a situation where it it will be misery and wretchedness. And he said the appropriate response now, but you will do this, is to weep and to howl. The unrepentant rich are already walking in that misery, though they don't know it. They're going to get there. It's almost like the beginning of a drunkenness. It creeps in slowly at first, and then it overtakes an individual. The shocking thing is that on the earth they lived in luxury and self-indulgence, but in their miseries they'll have just exactly the opposite, and that will be for an eternity because unrepentant mankind is condemned to hell. Their calamity will come upon them completely, when they stand before God on the judgment day. I think that's a Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, great white throne judgment where those, the books are going to be opened and they're, and they're going to be judged according to their works. Look at verse 2. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, uh, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures or hoarded treasures in the last days. These are the charges against the unrepentant rich. There are several charges. The riches, the riches they laid up or they stored or they amassed or they hoarded were temporal. And when we think about billionaires and multi, multi, multi millionaires, we would say, yeah, that's who they are. That's what they did. But I think this idea of amassing wealth can fall all the way down to those that live in the middle poor or dirt poor. What they get, they just hold on to. One of the dynamics that I saw among missionaries who are usually lauded for their sacrifice and what they leave is kind of a, is kind of a pride back in that day of the cameras that they had. They always had the, the cutting edge camera, didn't waste any money on that because it's kind of what they use as one of the tools of the trade to be able to communicate the works that was going on. It was really a, a very unique dynamic. The charge against the, uh, uh, the unrepentant rich is that they laid up or stored or amassed riches, riches that are temporary. They weren't, according to the word of Jesus, treasures laid up in heaven. They didn't stand the test of time, and in time, these riches are going to self-destruct. Clothes would rot, excuse me, food would rot, clothes would become moth-eaten, and their coins, which also included metals that would corrode, maybe gold doesn't corrode, but the metals that they used in that day would corrode as well. Have you ever walked through a hoarder's house? 
I have. Um, Kathy has a friend whose father was in his upper 80s, slipped on some ice, broke his neck, and died. And his house, um, they didn't want to deal with it, and so Gordon, Kathy's dad, and I purchased it. When I opened the door, the regular old three-bedroom house, when I opened the door the first time, this is what I found. I found a path to the chair, a path to the kitchen, and a path from the kitchen to his bedroom, and I guess he wanted another option because there was a path from his chair to the bedroom also. Everywhere else, from the floor to the ceiling, was stuff. Trash, the vast majority of it was trash. It was just stuff. When I opened the garage door, it was set below the house. When I opened the garage door the first time, it was about a crawl from like me to Matt. I had to literally crawl. He had three cars in there that were old cars. I discovered them after we unpiled them. There, were, there, were, there was stuff so high and piled up that I had to crawl on top of things to be able to get to the door that would take me to the kitchen to get me to the two or three paths that they had upstairs. Hoarders. And this is what this guy was. You and I probably wouldn't consider ourselves hoarders. But how do you treat your money? Are you saving it in the name of for retirement? And just adding to it, and adding to it, and adding to it. And the idea of having eyes to see the poor, or wanting to be involved in the work of God, or whatever other manner of spending that he blesses, are just oblivious to me. We can treat our money in nice, neat packages without having it piled from the floor to the ceiling. And that's what James is addressing. James is saying, you have laid up treasures for yourselves in these last days. You've hoarded, you've amassed this wealth. You're not using what God has given you for its intended purposes. We're to be stewards of God's money, not just collectors of his money. That doesn't mean it's wrong to collect if we collect appropriately. Joseph did that, didn't he? He did it so that he could provide for the children, uh, 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 for, the, for, the nation of, for the nation of Egypt under Pharaoh's reign. The charges against them were amassing riches that would be temporary riches. The deterioration of these riches actually becomes the evidence against those individuals. Look at what it says. Your gold, your silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you, but then it digresses even more. First they hoard it, then it becomes evidence against them, and then he personifies it and says, and it's going to eat you like fire. It's going to be what destroys you also, which is what the case was for them. So during the last days, James highlights during the last days, especially when someone's attention, a believer, a follower of Christ, should be giving to understanding and pursuing God, these rich individuals had God talk, but they didn't have God pursuit. During the last days when, when they're recognizing God is, God is concluding his plan on the earth, rather than being concerned about that, they're just amassing more wealth around themselves. And ignoring those around them. Improper spiritual focus in the last days. They laid up riches, treasures on earth. 
last days being the messianic period without regard. They were without regard for redemptive history. Jesus came the first time. He's going to come again. First John chapter 2 says it is the last hour. Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. Hebrews chapter 9 says at the end of the ages. If that was at the end of the ages then, we must be in like the last minute of the end of the ages now. Because we're a couple of thousand years down the road. And we see all kinds of biblical prophecies coming true around us as well. And in these last days, when they should have been concerned with honoring God with the things that God had entrusted to them, all they were concerned about was living in luxury and self-indulgence and who cares about anything else. How are you? How do you do? I know that we don't have billions. Some have millions. But we all have what God has entrusted to us. Are we using what he's entrusted to us in a way that's pleasing to him because we're living in the last days? We're living in the last of the last days. Those in James' epistle had no regard for God's clock. They had no regard for redemptive history. They were amassing riches for their own consumption in a day when God was winding up history rather than being like Jesus who used earthly mammon for the glory of God. Does that mean that we're supposed to give away everything? Not unless you have a word from the Lord to give away everything. If you do, and that's his word for you, that's fine, but we don't find that in Scripture for all of us. That isn't isn't what that means, that we have to take a vow of poverty. We have to care for our responsibilities. We invest, but we need to be able to use it wisely and appropriately. We need to care for the poor. If there is no care for the poor, we are ignoring a lot of Scripture. If there's no care for the poor. If you see a brother, John said, in need and don't meet that need, how does the love of God abide in you? Um, invest in God's work, and when you do so, recognize, when you invest in God's work, and when you do, then recognize what I've invested in God's work, no matter what organization it goes to, or whether it's an individual, that money has been invested, it's God's, it's on Him, I don't have to, I don't have to override that anymore. Don't be unwise with the wealth God has blessed you with, but hold on to it loosely, invest it in the lives of other people, don't hold on to it, hold on to it loosely, let me ask you this, How many days of manna were the children of Israel supposed to gather? Remember, they'd left Egypt. They took a two-week trip and packed 40 years into it because of their disobedience. And and yet God still provided for them. How much manna were they supposed to get each day? One day. And on the sixth day, two days. But they didn't do that, did they? Some of them. Some of them probably did. Some of them probably didn't. And what happened to that manna that they stored up, which was beyond, so that they'd have just a little bit extra, so that they could hoard just a little more, so they could lay it up with all of the justifications that they had. Got to provide for my family. I might get hungry at midnight. Got children. All that kind of stuff. It had worms, and it started to smell, and it was rotten, just like James is saying. That's what it was happening. Look at verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed the fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord of harvest. Another charge against the unrepentant rich, the first is that they had amassed or hoarded temporary riches. Another charge against them was the wages that they had unjustly accumulated, wages that they should have paid out, 
but they stole. They kept them for themselves. They kept back by defraud, or they schemed it, or they deceived it. They didn't. They didn't delay uh, in paying. They robbed the poor people that they were wor- that were working for them that they were supposed to pay. It isn't. I'll pay you in ten days. I really have no intention of paying you, even though I might say I'm going to pay you in ten days. It doesn't mean they didn't pay them anything. It means they didn't pay them what they were due. They didn't pay them for the value of the job that they did for the day. Some of the unrepentant wealth laid up, hoarded riches were unjustly gained. And it says, like the rotten garments and the corroded gold and silver were evidence against these people, now the unjust riches that they have received from unpaid wages cries out against them also. So these wages that should have been paid are crying out, and there's someone who's listening, all right? God is listening, but also the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Do you know who knows when you've been defrauded? God knows every single time. And if you've been defrauded and you deserve something and don't get it, and as Americans, man, we just go to law and, and you know, we just roll up our sleeves and we fight a little bit. God knows. He's aware. There are a lot of people around our world, the vast majority, they don't have that option. And yet God knows when they've been defrauded as well. Their, their unpaid wages, what's been defrauded of them, cries out. Like in Genesis 4 when God said to Cain, The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And James in chapter 5 is saying that the unpaid wages are crying out. The unpaid harvesters are crying out to the Lord. And he hears. And what's interesting to me is that God doesn't immediately respond. He doesn't always respond in the time frame that I think would be normal or rational or logical or American, because he's not American, hate to tell you. God doesn't always respond in the time frame that we might want. He's aware. He will respond. He just doesn't do it according to our time clock. Another charge against them we find in chapter 5, not only was it hoarding up uh, hoarding up their riches, they didn't, uh, they didn't pay uh, some people, so they unjustly ac- accumulated some of their riches. Another charge against them is you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Their temporal, sometimes inappropriately obtained riches, not always inappropriately obtained, but sometimes were used uh, for their own pleasure way beyond reasonable living. And you know what? If somebody's got more money than I got, they can, they can have a new truck. That's not a problem if they use it for the glory of God. And if somebody's got lots of money, they can have whatever it is that they buy. That's, that's between them and the Lord. But they were, women, they were living way beyond the norm. Luxury and self-indulgence, nothing for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean live with holes in your tennis shoes and jeans. Well, actually, if you have holes in your jeans these days, they're a little more expensive. I thought I was pretty cool because I had some jeans that were upwards of four or five years old, and they just started wearing some holes in them. And I thought, I need to throw those away. No, I don't need to throw those away. I need to parade these things. (laughs) doesn't mean that we need to live below comfort or poverty. But these individuals had taken luxury to a completely different level. Always about me. Always about mine always about my pleasure, what I want, nothing of others, nothing of God, nothing of helping the poor, nothing of investing in the kingdom of God, nothing of sacrifice, self-indulgent, giving yourself to unnecessary pleasures, zero in the arena of self-denial. First Timothy 5, speaking of the ungodly, woman, uh, ungodly widow, says this, she who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. 
And those who live in self-indulgence and luxury, thinking nothing of others, I think would be the same, dead even though they live. They had fattened their hearts for the day of slaughter. Do not hear me say that I'm a farmer, but I have bought a few sides of beef from time to time. And I know that what happens for farmers is they fatten up those calves. They fatten up those cows either with grass fed or corn fed so that they can weigh more so that they'll taste better. That's what these rich people were doing for their day of slaughter. And so not only were the, were the voices of those that owed them money crying out to the Lord, they were fattening themselves up for this day of slaughter of the Lord. And if you want to, you could Google day of slaughter and just start reading some Old Testament examples of the day of slaughter. It will happen. Don't let God's patience fool you into thinking that it's not going to happen. In Ecclesiastes, the preacher said, in effect, all of the riches that I have amassed come to nothing. So cast your bread upon the water, give a portion to seven or even to eight because you don't know who might be able to help you in your hour of need. The idea is diversity, and that diversity is to invest in the kingdom of God as well. Another charge against them, it's going to really get out of control now. First they'd hoarded treasure on earth, then they kept back the wages from their workers. They're living in luxury and self-indulgence, and now they care nothing for life. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It started with stockpiling and hoarding and laying up treasures because of their greed. Their greed led to fraud. Their fraud led to self-indulgence. Their self-indulgence led to do anything, which meant condemn and murder the righteous. Now they're using the court system to justify why they do what they do. Almost sounds like America, doesn't it? Almost sounds like Washington, D.C. They're using the court system now to justify what they're doing. They've condemned. They've sentenced someone. Chapter 2, verse 4 of James says, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? And that's what they were doing even to the point of murder. Listen to Revelation chapter 6. speaks of different kind of crying out. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the witness they had borne murdering those who are righteous. I saw uh, the altar, those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you'll judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And what that means is There has been a number of people who have died righteously in the Lord because of the self-indulgent rich would be some of the reasons of it. And there are still those who will die for the Lord. And God will respond, but he might not respond immediately. He'll respond in his own time. And the innocent, just one, he says, does not resist you. There was no resistance. Reminds me of Jesus, doesn't it? He committed himself to God. He lived this, these people commit themselves to God. They live in light of eternity, not the immediate reality. Like Jesus, when reviled, they don't revile. It's not very American, but it's Bible. The Lord sees and hears of these injustices. He knew what happened to Abel. His blood cried out. He knows what happens to you. Interesting that the Lord of hosts doesn't mean immediate justice or immediate fairness. He can. Sometimes he does, but not always. And it's not my choice. I might pray and desire and express myself, but I have to let him be the God who reigns. God has an eternal plan 
And he said, in this world, we will have tribulation. And as the righteous ones in James chapter 5, they were being slaughtered and condemned and robbed by the unrepentant rich. I hope we don't find ourselves there. And I hope we're able to learn the lesson of the unrepentant rich so that we stray way far away from that rather than getting as close as we can because of the deceitfulness of riches. And then James says to those who genuinely love God and live for him, verse 7, we're not going to go there, but I wanted to read it. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. They didn't resist, and so he said, be patient. So what can we learn Let's use what God entrusts that let's 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 use what God entrusts to us for his glory and that's each of us laying ourselves before the Lord reading his word wanting to follow what it was that he what it is that he says somehow just like we rightly divide the word like we understand the leading of the spirit of God let's seek God's wisdom in how to excuse me in how to appropriately use listen to this 100% of the wealth and the riches that he's given me You didn't hear me say give away 100%, but appropriately use 100% of all that God has given me in a way that's pleasing to him. And it should include something in the work of God as well. And the poor and other things also. We can learn that. Remember that just like with the Pharisees who loved money, we can't serve two masters. And God knows my heart and he knows your heart. I know, I know that there are preachers that are preaching today who have a love of money and God knows their heart and they can't serve God and money. They project themselves as being able to serve God and gathering money, but you can't do that. And God knows our heart. When we give, he knows. He knows why you give if you do. He knows if you give if you don't. He knows if you justify why you don't give. He knows if you give grudgingly and of necessity. He knows if you're worshiping as you give or if you're just paying a bill, just paying my spiritual bill. Pay my light bill, got to pay my spiritual bill too. No, you don't. You worship God because he is the provider of everything that you have. There is a lot that we could learn from the widow who gave all that she had which was two small copper coins that values way less than we're going to spend on lunch today. There's a lot that we can learn. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Some people's faces come across my mind who have had and maybe still have very little. And yet I've stepped into their houses and they give because you've taught them that you're a giving God. And Father, I pray that you would teach everyone in this place how deceptive riches can be and teach us to not put Christian wrapping around, hoarding, but teach us to invest the wealth that you've given us for your glory. And all that that means from retirement days to giving to the poor to working hard to pay the everything that that means. We thank you especially that you demonstrate your givingness that you gave your son. Not to those who loved you, but while we were yet your enemies, you sent Christ to die on the cross. A lot to learn there. And thank you that in Jesus 
we don't have to walk in the condemnation of these unrepentant rich people, but that we can call upon the name of the Lord and be forgiven as well. So have your way in my heart and have your way in the heart of every single person in every single pew in this church. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.